Welcome everyone. This is Scott Cantrell. Uh, thank you for joining me for Consulting with Authority. I am especially excited to be joined by an expert guest as usual, Jashan Boyce, and he is with Podcast Chef and has a consulting firm called Next Step. And I will kind of pull back the curtain a little bit here. Sean has been a business coach and a business mentor of mine in helping me actually build this podcast. And so I can't thank him enough. And with the insights and strategies that he shared with me about the podcast and outside of the podcast, just about consulting with authority in general, I knew that he needed to be uh, one of my guests on the podcast. So I'm really honored that he was willing to carve out some time and share it with me and share it with all of you today. Sean, thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome, Scott. Thank you for having me on the show and the very kind words. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, well, I, I have no doubt that you'll be able to live up to the high praise. Uh, at least that's been my experience so far. So, Sean, just to get us started here, uh, tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are, right? Your background. I know it's been a varied career, as with so many consultants and independent professionals. A lot of us have, have done different things over the, over the lifespan of our career to kind of hone in on what our zone of genius is. So kind of walk us through your experience and um, what you've done in the past. Absolutely. Will do. And thanks for having me on the show again and the opportunity to kind of tell my story. So uh, from way back when, studied engineering in school, thought I would design every aspect that became my career. Couldn't have been more wrong about that. And no one's happier about that than I am. So my career, as I uh, thought that it wouldn't, really evolved organically, which has been an absolute pleasure. I started from doing a lot of technical work and then Earlier on, I figured out that I had a knack for automating and solving business processes that were inefficient through technology and software. So I ran with it, um, found my way to a couple different companies that were doing specifically that from my previous experience in corporate, found my way to the startup world, uh, loved every minute of that, uh, the ups and downs, the swings, the crazy, you know, uh, really intense work to do something cool and innovate. And I uh, really fell in love with this concept of building and launching product businesses. So ultimately tried to do so myself the first time that was largely unsuccessful, but still to this date, the best lesson learned that I have had yet in my career. So I'm very grateful for it and it continues to teach me lessons to this day. Since from everything I learned from that, I have, you know, reinvested significantly in all things, product management, product strategy, consuming every piece of information I could get my hands on to try to master as many of those skills as possible at lean startup and all kinds of cool stuff. Then I reinvested everything that I learned back into subsequent product company launches with much greater success. So I've kind of come full circle in that way. And along the way, I've, I've seen others attempting to do the same thing, but being about to make the same mistakes that I did earlier in my career. So I, I tried to get involved wherever I could to help them avoid those mistakes and any pitfalls that might slow them down. That has led to uh, substantial consulting work uh, that I turned into what became you know, Next Step and is Next Step now or we're working with a lot of companies, both service and product oriented, have success in building product companies um, based on you know all that career that I just shared with you. And so far, so good. We've been able to help a lot of companies. It's been a lot of fun and continue to learn every day um, uh, to date. That's phenomenal. And you know what resonates with me is the note that you gave about learning from the learning from the challenge, learning from the struggle, learning from the failure. And certainly, I know that the, the listeners and viewers will have that same kind of experience in their own lives. And the faster we learn, right, the more success we can have generally faster. And so I know just working with you personally, I had a number of different misconceptions about what a podcast should be, could be, how to set it up, et cetera. And, you know, 
just a, a practical microcosmic example is how much time you've saved me just in terms of this process and developing it. So I, I totally appreciate and understand that. From uh, another thought that, that occurs to me, your world as a, a product business specialist, strategist, uh, business development person in the product space, I don't want to make this assumption, but I would suspect it's true. That will carries over, right? Those same strategies and concepts carry over into the service space. If I'm thinking about what you're doing with Podcast Chef and some of the conversations that we've had, talk a little bit about the similarities or the commonalities between a SaaS or technology product-driven business and maybe a consulting service-related business. That's a great question and something that I've really spent a lot of time focusing on more recently. Um, So thanks for giving me that opportunity, number one. But I'd like other people to really take a closer look at this if they're entertaining or have some level of interest in building a product business of their own. I think a lot of people go from whatever work they've done previously to thinking about having their own like software startup and how exciting and quickly that's going to develop and become successful and all this kind of stuff. In reality, when we talk about building businesses, in my experience and in others that share this sentiment, it's a lot more, it's, it's, it's oftentimes easier and faster to build a successful service business than it is to build a product business, um, which may be a little counterintuitive. And I know that's the that's the understanding that I had. And it was a, it was definitely, you know, I've learned that it can be a misconception for a lot of people. But now that I have the experience of having built both, there are certainly pros and cons to each approach. But when it comes to talking about, you know, or thinking about building a product business of your own, I would encourage as many as possible to look much more closely at your opportunities of how selling services, learning how to sell services, building service-based companies can really teach you a lot about how to build a successful product company. Because there's a couple of ways to think about a product company. Uh, You can think about it from the perspective of what it is that you're actually selling. And you can also think about it in terms of what the client is actually buying. And just because the client buys something like a product doesn't mean it has to be a product in its traditional sense, like a software product company. There are a lot of really successful, I would consider them product companies, and the term that's often used to describe it as productized service company, where companies, uh, where clients, I'm sorry, are purchasing the value that you're selling as a product as they might pay a fixed fee for a specific list of you know deliverables or value that they get but at the end of the day it isn't necessarily software it's really you know your team or the processes that you've developed in order to deliver a certain type of service but rather consistently and over and over again for the client and that's where i think a, a lot of value comes from building productized service companies and some of the other misconceptions about that is I think people oftentimes think that if I'm building a product company and it has to be software related, the software is going to be you know, much better to scale and all that kind of stuff. And that might be true to some extent at some point. But in reality, getting there involves a lot of learning, which requires a lot of experimentation. And software makes it very difficult in order to make a lot of changes relatively quickly. If you're talking about a piece of software and you have to design it and build it and it has to work very specifically and it only has certain buttons and switches, that has its limitations if you don't know everything there is to know about how it should work, which is usually what most software companies are facing. But that's something they may not be aware of in the, in the beginning. Service, on the other hand, if it's just an individual or someone on your team, they can pivot on a dime. If you're doing it you know, version A way, you can switch to version B way pretty much instantaneously. And that's not to be taken for granted. That That is a really powerful aspect of how to think about you know building a product company, but doing so with the operations component of what you do 
largely being service oriented. That's fantastic. And I'm thinking about my experience being a consultant and going into a given business, whether it be working with another consultant or working with a SaaS organization or working with an insurance firm, for instance. Regardless, I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations in the past and recently where decision maker, prospective decision maker, prospective client or decision maker has said, we want to buy a customized service, right? That's custom and designed to fit our unique challenges. But when it comes to actually buying, they want to buy it like they buy a product. So they want the result of of customization, but their sales process, their buying process, I should say, they want to buy it as if they're buying a product. And so what you're talking about here, squaring this circle between, you know, I'm thinking about a thought leader or a coach or a consultant out there who is kind of stuck in this world of customization, right? Where every client feels like a one-off. And you feel like you are the hamster caught on the wheel and you want to leverage and you want to scale, but every single client wants something different enough so that you have to create something slightly different for every single client. And that becomes a trap that I think a lot of consultants, myself included, have fallen into in the past. What you're describing here, I think, is a way to bridge that gap where you are providing the value of a customized service but you're doing it in a productized way because, and, and this is what I want you, want, you, want you to speak to, Sean. Again, an organization is used to buying things, right? They're used to making, you know, buying a transaction. They know the value of having a consultant come in and help them with business development or strategic planning or human resources or operations, but they want to buy it like they buy the widgets, right? And of course, it's, it's, not, it's not that simple. It's not that you can create a widget of consulting that works for every company, and I'm not suggesting that. But what you can do is create a service menu, right? And approach the sales process in a productized way. In other words, we have, you know, Mr. 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 and Mrs. Client or prospective client, we have these types of services that we can bring. And it's like a menu and productization. We have these types of services. We have these types of services. Let's do an analysis, a diagnostic and assessment. And then we can mix and match those services to create a custom solution. But the things that make up that custom solution are themselves scalable and leveraged from that consultant's point of view. From your experience, does that resonate in terms of your experience in the marketplace too, from productizing something that might otherwise be custom and maybe your experience working with organizations that want the custom solution, but want to buy it as a product? Excellent question. And short answer is definitely yes. From my experience, it's the client is very similar to yours. The client is, they have very specific needs. It might might vary from time to time, but they're often thinking of it in terms of looking specifically for the solution they need. I always, the analogy I typically give is, you know, if you need work done in your knee, where are you going to go get that done? You're going to go to your primary care provider or are you going to go to the orthopedic surgeon that only works on knees, right? right? Now, if it's a world of just primary care providers, then, well, that's your, that's just kind of what you're dealing with, but it's not, right? There are specialists out there that can help you with that specific problem. So exactly. if your client is looking for something very specifically, and they have the choice between those two options, 10 times out of 10, they're going to go to the specialist. So yep. that's what we ultimately want to be. I really come to learn the power of you know niching and being very specific to someone that is looking to solve a very specific problem and thinking of selling your services or organizing your services in terms of how you described it, Scott, like this productized menu or options that I can choose from. 
really, in my experience, helps the client understand what the right solution is for their needs, right? Because they may not, you know, they may have great context for the problem that they have and, and really know where they need to go to solve it, or they may not. And maybe looking at, you know, people that go to doctors oftentimes go to them because they have symptoms, not because they know what the problem is, right? The doctor's right. job is to help them figure out what the problem is. And as such, the solutions, they're coming to them to solve their problems, but they may not necessarily have full context. Same thing with what we do as consultants and the consulting work that I do. As I've further productized my services, it's become not just easier for me to grow my business, but for my clients to understand what they need and making sure that they're in the right place in terms of, you know, what are the options that you have or what is it that you do? Well, I go back to and I say, well, here's the problems that I solve. Do you have any of these problems? And they may know that. If they don't, then I can ask them, what well, do you have any of these symptoms or what are the symptoms you're experiencing, right? What, what mm-hmm. challenges do you have? And for any of those challenges that they may list or any of the problems that that ultimately leads into, I can guide them into that right direction. And then based on what I've developed as a service provider, I could say, well, for problem A, we have, you know, solution number one. And here's how that works. It comes with this list of items. It costs this so much. And that's, you know, that's basically the solution to your problem. It makes the process a lot easier for them. Uh, That's why like product companies like Casper out there, the uh, famous mattress company, when they started uh, selling products, they had one option. And one of the reasons that that a lot of people talk about why they may likely have been as successful as they were is because they had one option. Uh, If instead, you know, if you've ever walked into a mattress store, it's just a sea of options and nobody has any idea what they're looking at. And I've always sat on like three or four different mattresses. I'm like, these all feel the same to me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this is almost making the problem a little harder. (laughs) So instead, give me specific solutions to the problem that I have and help me figure out what that problem is if I don't exactly know what it is. But the more specialized you are in it, the easier the experience is going to be for them. And interestingly enough, the uh, typically the easier the process will be for you as a consultant also to grow your business. Uh, I've had the same experience. And having been in the past, having fallen into that generalist trap, I'll say, right? And there's nothing wrong with having multiple divisions of value you can bring to, a, to an organization. The point is, is in honing in and narrowing down, like you said, what their problem is, what their needs are, what symptoms are they facing, takes us to the pain, takes us to the problem. And now we're recommending specific answer solutions to those things as opposed to going in and saying, whatever whatever you're dealing with, we'll figure it out together, right? Uh, and now it feels like we're making, to your point, in, we have those types of conversations, which I've been guilty of, you're often making the problem bigger than it, than it is for both parties. And so a couple of notes I wrote down here is this concept of specialization through productization of your own consulting abilities or your own expertise, your own skill set. I think is is huge. So everybody who's, you know, hopefully consuming this, listening to this, et cetera, hopefully they have an idea uh, or at least some inkling of, of where their zone of genius or their superpower, call it whatever you want to call it, what they're best at, what their area of specialty should be or where they want it to be. And then, you know, to that end, focusing on organizations that have problems that can benefit from that superpower from that zone of genius, from those specialty services. Now, all of a sudden, it becomes very easier, much, much easier for the consultant, you or I, to qualify an opportunity, disqualify an opportunity, and identify those best fit clients. And and I will tell you, I'm I'm still imperfect at that. I'm much, much better today than I was, you know, obviously, even a year ago, and much, much better 
than I was uh, 10 or 12 years ago, but it's still a, an evolution and a work in progress there. You know, I think the, the key cliche, which we all know of, but I think we probably don't remind ourselves enough about, and that is, you know, don't try to be jack of all trades and master of none, right? Focus in on where you're going to have the most impact and then create your menu of specialty solutions and answers based on your own zone of genius, as opposed to going to a client, trying to assess their needs and trying to figure out how to be that knee, knee surgeon or knee orthopedist on the fly. That's not going to serve anybody. Maybe you can do it and maybe you can succeed, but it's going to be stressful. It's not going to be fun and it's not uh, probably going to be particularly effective. So I think that's a huge note. Related to that, what we're really talking about here is knowing where you have authority internally, right? Knowing what your internal authority is and then being able to communicate that out into the marketplace. And that's one of the things I'm so excited about working with you, Sean, on is this podcast which is allowing me to communicate my authority out into the marketplace. But this is something that you've been doing for a while, whether it's a product company or a service company through your consulting. Do you mind sharing a couple of authority-driven or focused types of, of strategies? You know, business development, marketing, sales, however we want to label it, but authority-driven strategies to help consultants position themselves as more of that focused, specialty-driven authority in a given marketplace. Absolutely. Yeah, this is something much like yourself that I, has been an evolution for me as well, too. And there's it just goes through phases as I learn more, right? Just like we're building product companies. As I try something, experiment with it, learn from it, then I can update my process moving forward with it. And as my business and company grows and scales and where we want it to be, we will engineer some things and try them out and some work and some need to be tweaked. But in terms of how I would recommend other consultants think about right? Building this for themselves, right? You mentioned something as part of what you just said, and that's, you know, ensuring that we're enjoying what we're doing as well too. That's an important part of this also. Absolutely. It's not just about what, you know, sells. It's about what you're really passionate about because building yourself as an authority definitely takes time. It's, it's not like a destination. It's definitely a journey. So now because it's a journey, it's got to be something that you enjoy doing. Otherwise those uh, long days or that adversity that you face from time to time is, going to be that much harder because it's not something that you're particularly passionate about. And I learned that along the way too. There were things that I was doing that I wasn't particularly passionate about. And I just, I pivoted uh, sometimes slightly, sometimes significantly in or out of that particular service that I was offering into something that was much more interesting to me and valuable to who I was working with. But the, um, the construct that I like to think of in terms of helping people figure this out is looking for the overlap from three particular areas. And for me, it's passion, proficiency, and demand. So those three, I think it's important to not just have overlap for two of the three, but really to look for what overlaps from all of them. And that's where I would recommend people kind of get started. And if they don't know it yet, start experimenting to get more data to help figure it out, right? It's, you know, passion from the perspective of what are you really interested in, right? If it's going to take quite a bit of time, which building these businesses always does, right? It's something that uh, you're going to remain engaged in throughout because it's something that excites you. Proficiency is something that you have a knack for or a natural ability for or something you've earned or learned or whatever it is. It's just something that flows very relatively well for you. So if it's something you learn, it's something you're excited to learn, master, and then continue to work on. If it's something that kind of comes naturally to you, even better type thing, uh, which for me is like all things product related. I just love building products. And then demand is the all important last category. 
because you can have the other two, but if you have the other two, you may just have a hobby. So um, we need to turn this into a business and that's where demand comes into play. Um, Hobbies are okay, but they are typically secondary in nature to what we're looking to do when we're building uh, the relative strength for the value proposition for the businesses that we're building. And market demand is an important one. Earlier on in my career, you know, despite the fact that I have the experience of software engineering in my background, it was something I was proficient at, but it wasn't something I was particularly passionate about when compared with the work I'm doing now. And from a demand perspective, I saw that as uh, becoming more commoditized as more options hit the market. And then there's a, there's a wide variety of options for those services. Plus, a lot of those firms have been out there much longer and have a much longer running history than I do. So I didn't really want to invent, reinvent the wheel about something I wasn't as passionate about. Product management, product strategy, on the other hand, that is something that I really like. Whereas the engineering was kind of the how, I was more interested in the what and the why. You know, anybody can, uh, in my opinion, you know, there's a lot of different people that can build a house. But sure. the really important aspect of, you know, building a house is figuring out, you know, what to build and where to build it, right? Because yeah, location, exactly. location, location. So <laughs> same thing when it comes to these uh, software companies and building products. Yeah. And and that, that gets to market demand, market demand, market demand, right? Totally. And that's the equivalent of location, location, location. Yep. Uh, this is a fantastic framework. You know, where were you 12 years ago? <laughs> would have loved to have had this conversation then. Probably could have saved myself a lot of strife and struggle. But um, some some lessons we have to learn on our own through the, totally. through the arduous process, right? This, this framework of passion, proficiency, and demand, I think, is critical. And let me ask this question, and, and maybe this question doesn't have just one right answer. Another business mentor of mine likes to say, I like to live in a world, or I do live in a world, where there can be more than one right answer. And that's often true for a lot of these questions. But what's your perspective on this question? If I'm looking at adding something to my consulting business or to my product business, and Either, you know, maybe I identify a new possible market opportunity or I have this new passion. Would you recommend that from a sequencing and priority standpoint that I start with something I'm passionate about and then go to proficiency? And then once I know what I'm passionate about and what I'm good at, I look for where the demand is in the marketplace? Or would you say, find the demand first and then back into, you know, identify what you're good at that could fulfill that, that you're excited about? Is there a right or wrong to that? And, And what maybe a better question is how do you go through that process, Sean, and what sequence? Yeah, excellent question. And same feedback as well, too. I I had I essentially had learned that framework the hard way myself. And I'll tell you a little <laughs> bit more about what its original history looked like. Okay. And it was uh it's evolved much like everything else has to stuff I've been describing it on the show. But for me and the way I started out was, you know, I had certain goals in mind, right? I wanted to be independent. I wanted yep. to, you know, I had certain you know, revenue or income level goals I wanted to hit in order to be able to do what I wanted to do and hopefully be able to do that as long as I could kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And the way in which I approached it at the time, I knew, you know, the software component was something that it was a helpful component to my background, but I saw a much more important calling in the product strategy for my background and expertise. Plus, I saw a lot of people making the mistakes that I did. And I saw a lot of people that I thought I could help once I had gotten over, you know, those challenges myself. But the way in which I thought about it, which ultimately probably falls more into the demand category as an early priority was, what are the hardest, most challenging problems out there when it comes to the things that I think I'm good at or interested in that people need help with? Um, it was my way of breaking down that equation of figuring out, you know, where is the demand? And that ended up being in product management. And I also like the way, you know, having learned more about that role, it sounded and it was described because it was always mm-hmm. something that 
personally was a good match for me. I like to be crazy busy. I like crazy challenging problems. I like, you know, when I turn around the next corner, I have a problem I've never seen before. I yeah. gravitate towards that stuff. And I know that's where I do my best work. For most, it's probably the opposite. And that's okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's just all about knowing like what engages you. I know for myself personally, if I have to do consistent repetitive tasks, I will you know, become easily bored with that. And as yep. such, that won't lead to good results for anybody. And I've been there. So what I, what I know about myself personally is that I'm at my best when I'm solving problems that you know, are unique, that have a set of criteria that I may or may not have seen before, that the equation is incomplete, or that scare other people, right? If anything that, um, that also just happens to overlap quite a bit with demand is because, um, you know, if you think about it from a supply and demand perspective, some of those bigger, more challenging problems that also are higher risk too. So uh, yep. a lot of people attempt to solve them and a lot of them are unsuccessful. That scares certain people or they're, they're, uh, it shies them away from it, but it draws me towards it kind of thing. So I may be broken in that way, but it works for me. <laughs> so that's... You're running, you're running toward the fire. That's you're right. Brave, brave <laughs> that's Thank right. you. Yeah. yeah. So knowing your personality, number one, in terms yeah. of what you're comfortable with uh, and what you think you can handle, and then thinking about it in terms of what is going to enable you to gain the experience from an early perspective, right? When I started this out, you know, I made a lot of progress, got a long way to go. But when I started this out, it was a real grind, right? Just finding, I was, and I started it in a market where product management, product strategy is not particularly well known, which, you know, from one perspective, I can make the argument either way to say, you know, did that make the effort harder or was that, you know, an, a good earlier test in terms of if I'm actually able to get over that hurdle, maybe that's a really promising or good sign. But having all those challenges facing me, I look for anything that I could get my hands into to gain the experience. You know, I started with very basic, limited engagements to see, to test, just like you would for a software product and putting in the hands of users as give them value. Was I able to help anybody the way I thought that I could? And I started small and I kind of just built and grew from there. And as I got more engagements, I learned, I read everything I get my hands on about this stuff to figure out, you know, what are all the other concepts that are in this world? The more I learned, the more engaged I became, became which, you know, to me, uh, let me know that the passion was still there um, because that's important too. There were a couple of things along the way when I'm like, you know, I'm probably not going to do that component, although I probably could, but I'll find a partner for that. And that helped me refine and tighten up my value proposition. And then along the way, I think it just kind of evolved naturally. So for anybody looking to figure that out, I would say, know yourself from a personality perspective and know what you're excited about. And then also look for what seems to be in demand. Who's looking for help with what, right? Looking for those problems people that have that are looking for solutions to them. And then position yourself as someone who can help with that, regardless of what level you need to start. I started super low level, super limited engagements, you know, uh, low price points, all that kind of stuff, so that I could gain the experience of knowing whether or not I could move the needle. Can I offer the value for the clients? And then once that pattern started to develop, I was able to put a lot of the other pieces in place, put more structure into it, you know, develop these productized services, raise my prices, all that kind of stuff, work with different clients at different stages. And it, one thing has kind of led to another that way from an organic perspective. So it's all about learning as early as you can and as often as you can. For me, that's another big part of what it takes for me to remain engaged and doing my best work. And that overlaps well with uh, finding those challenging problems. That's great advice. And, and one of the things I just wrote down that I think is, is critical is, and, I, and 
I don't think, I don't know if I've ever thought about it this way, uh, related to developing a new consulting offering, or if you're an author, you're, you're new, you know, a new book, or if you're a speaker, a new presentation, or, or if you're a coach, a new program, whatever it is in the thought leadership or expert space, one thing I don't think I'd ever thought about in this way that is very true in the product space, uh, and I do think about it in the product space, especially when I work with those types of clients, is testing <laughs> those strategies and services and offerings and value propositions. If you're an author and you're trying to hone in on the subject matter for your next book, write two or three articles on the subject and see if it's resonating with the market, right? Put it in front of your prospects or your clients and see if it's resonating and, and do a couple different tests to hone in on that topic. Obviously, you're going to choose topics you're passionate about anyway. Now go find the demand. And so it seems like an obvious thing, right? You think about a product model the first thing, the, the first big milestone of developing a product is getting to that MVP stage, right? And so that prototyping stage, why not apply that same methodology and strategy? You arguably should apply that same methodology and strategy to a service-based business as well, especially one where it's your expertise and your proficiency effectively that someone is, is purchasing, right? Uh, throw the line out in the water and see what uh, what attracts the fish, so to speak. I think that's a huge, a huge lesson. I hadn't thought about it in that way, but there's every reason to do that if you are, uh, again, a consultant, speaker, coach, expert, et cetera. Last couple of questions, Sean, as we come up on time, but you've talked a whole lot about your background and your career and kind of lessons learned from it, but I kind of want to encapsulate that or, or, or top that off. With this question, I try to ask this to most of my guests, looking back over the trajectory of your career, what you're doing now, everything that you've learned, if there was one piece of advice or most major lesson learned that you could impart to yourself, you know, 10, 12 years ago, or to me 10, 12 years ago, or to anybody out there today that might be valuable for them, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned? Great question. I would say uh, there's probably two dimensions to this, but the first is just make sure that you're learning every step of the way and don't see failure as stopping you in what you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, someone really reset, helped me reset my mindset when it came to like my early product failures. And it was, you know, I was thinking about this in terms of the fact that I had failed, you know, I was depressed. I wasn't happy about that. And I thought that, you know, that ship had sailed for me metaphorically speaking. Yeah. What they ultimately did is they immediately corrected me as an uh, older gentleman with a lot of experience as an investor and uh, clearly much wiser than me, especially at that time. But he said, you know, it's not, don't think of it in terms of failures. It's lessons learned. Now you know how not to do it again. And everything you've learned, you know, he asked me to qualify the experience and I gave him the answers. And then he asked me, well, what would you do differently? I'd do it again, just like you asked me, Scott. And I laid it out for him. He said, it looks like you're, you have your next step ready to go. Why haven't you done it? And I was just like, I was floored. I didn't really have a good answer for it. Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's yeah. a great question. You're right. I did learn a lot. And I can take from those lessons learned. And I can roll that into real progress. And I since have done that with the early product company that I struggled with. I took those lessons learned and reinvested back. I built my team. And now we are having the kind of success that I hoped to have way back when. So mm -hmm. I attribute all that to those lessons learned and really figuring out from that first experience that this isn't the end of the world, that this is part of the process. So that's where, you know, over time I've come to learn that it's, you know, people say it to you all the time and I didn't have an appreciation for it like I do now, 
where they say, yeah. you know, it's not the, it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. And I, yeah. t- I truly get that now. So advice I would give for others is make sure that, you know, you are passionate about learning. If you are anything, any speed bumps or uh, any, any adversity along the way is an opportunity to learn and to get better and then approach it as such. And also that it's not a race. Um, I understand, you know, some people may be limited in what they can do from a, you know, income perspective and how much flexibility they have. But if you only have an hour today to put into this, you can build a company of your own. You can become a consultant at your own pace. Everyone does it at different paces. Everyone does it at different phases of life. Um, you know, I was, I was really comparing myself and my success with others. And that's a, a fool's errand as well, too. You know, do what is right by you and do it at your own pace. And if you only have to do a little bit at a time, you certainly can. You can build a great momentum. There's a lot of information out there, unfortunately, that talks about this in terms of a race and you know, it has to be done by a certain period of time and you have to crazy amount of hours every day. And right. that, that, I find that all to be largely overblown. Um, I, to me, it's the, it's about the journey. It's about just continuing to make progress and it isn't necessarily a race to me. Um, and that's how, that's the mindset that I've shifted into and it works really well for me. So we continue to make progress. And I just want others to know that that is totally reasonable and practical and, uh, also something that you can do too. Yeah. Uh, again, where were you 12 years ago, Sean, <laughs> or maybe even further back for me, but yeah, that, com- the comparison trap in particular, right. You know, we should all run our own races. Why are we trying to run other people's races? Exactly. Um, and um, it's not good for, it, it doesn't hurt them. It doesn't change, it doesn't help them. It doesn't change them. It doesn't hurt them. It has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with us. We've got, the only race we can run is our own. And so uh, let's focus on that and let's admire and be inspired by other people who are doing great things. And then on the flip side of that, there are a huge number of people that would love to be where you are, right? That's the other uh, sort of perspective that we often don't look at. We always think grass is always greener. Well, grass is greener for you too. If you ask, if you ask a large number of other people, they would think the grass is greener for you. And so I think the goal is to admire and be inspired by those that we look up to and then to help those that are admiring and being inspired by us. However we can. And it's a great, a great way to, uh, to leave our conversation here before we do, as we wrap up, I want to make sure that everybody who's listening to this can find you, can connect with you, can follow you, can engage you however they might need to. What's the best way for someone to get in touch with you? You've got a couple different companies, share those, uh, you know, respective uh, websites with us. What's the best way for people to reach out? You've got it. Absolutely. And thanks again, obviously for having me on the show in terms of contacting me, you can reach me on LinkedIn, uh, Sean, just, Search for Sean Boyce, S-E-A-N-B-O-Y-C-E. You can email me as well too, uh, Sean, S-E-A-N at nextstep.io. That's N-X-T-S-T-E-P.io. Anybody's welcome to email me, especially aspiring contractors, consultants, anybody looking to go independent, anybody who wants help with product business related stuff. um, I'm happy to help as much as I can. I try to get involved in those communities to, like you said, mm-hmm. help people like us ourselves when we were figuring out and floundering along the way kind of thing, you know, make it a little bit easier for them, kind of help that we wish we had when we were building it kind of thing. Right. So giving back is extremely important. I'm glad you mentioned that. And then uh, if anybody's interested in any of the product stuff that I'm currently working on, feel mm-hmm. free to check out either uh, Podcast Chef, as you mentioned, Scott, that's a productized service uh, business that I've built, which helps people with getting started with podcasting, launching them, doing all the post-production and promotion and all kinds of stuff. Uh, you can basically do the fun stuff, which is like recording this episode and then we'll do everything else. So that's at podcastchef.com. 
And then the SaaS business that uh, I've built as well too is an HR technology, human resources technology. That's called Staff Geek. And that's available at staffgeek.com. It's all about figuring out via data-driven process what the values are that is important to your organization's success and how you can use those to you know, find new members for your team and measure the performance of others to help them do better in the roles that they're in. That's great. That's awesome. Sean, thank you so much again for investing the time. And uh, I know that I have a couple of pages of notes uh, that's going to serve me very, very well. And I trust everyone else does too. Sean, thanks for being here. We'll look forward to having you back. Very good. Thank you so much for having me, Scott. I appreciate it very much. Be well, everybody. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I want to thank the sponsor of our show, Smart Solutions Media. Smart Solutions Media empowers business owners, consultants, and other independent professionals to easily attract better prospects and transform them into long-term clients. If you're a B2B consultant or service professional and would like to start filling your pipeline with better quality prospects, visit us on the web at smartsolutionsmedia.com to learn more about what we can do to help you. Be sure to complete this short two-minute accelerated growth scorecard you can find on the website and you'll receive a complimentary strategy session where we'll give you specific insights and recommendations to help you attract high value clients. Until next time, make sure you are consulting with authority.